This morning, as I read from God's Word, the book of Revelation, chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, we find here Christ's faithful, righteous, holy rule of all, living and dead, great and small, all. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, I'll read to verse 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. And let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of God's holy word. We come to you, O Christ, the one who is king, priest, and prophet. And that you would, in your three offices, manifest your lordship by your spirit in our hearts today. That we might say that each of us here, every man, woman, and child, by your grace, has a share in your eternal inheritance. Lord, would you work gospel fruit in our hearts? And may we, as we have been oft exhorted to live for the last day, that we would live every day. For the day of your return. And may we not fear judgment. For blessed are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. May this be our ultimate security. We pray this then in your name. Amen. One of the great challenges, I've shared this already before with you, is that through preaching in a book like this, where there is a lot of meat on the bone, how to divide certain texts so that I cover enough to develop a singular idea without taking too long so that I don't lose you as we get to the back end of a sermon. I I understand. Listen, no one listens to fewer sermons than me. I know that may seem like a strange admission, but I don't sit every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening to listen And not only that, but I was born with what may be commonly called the Wiggles. Um, There are a lot of people who've built a living out of prescribing medication for people like me uh, to help me sit still. I like the fact that I have the Wiggles uh, because it does make me a bit sympathetic for some of you uh, who by 10, 30, 
begin to move in such a way that you're never calming down. You just have to get up and walk around. So all that being said, what I want to do this morning is to take this incredible event that ought to be for us, along with all of God's word, but ought to be for us what we think about when we live day to day, how do we shape our lives, what moment are we living in light of, and we ought to live as those who consider the final judgment of every man, woman, and child that has, is, or will ever live, and angels, and death, and Hades, and Satan himself, all will be judged and fates determined by the one who even now sits upon the throne of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the firstborn of all creation, the eternal Logos, the Word of God made flesh. This morning I'm going to look at the great white throne judgment under these three headings. The Great White Throne, the book and books, and then lastly, the sentencing and the casting out of death in Hades. Let's look at the first point, the Great White Throne. Now, when we open this section, we see a great white throne, and it is a reference to the throne of Jesus Christ. I don't think we ought to assume anything as it comes to the book of Revelation, what is being described. It is right for us to have a thoroughgoing, exegetical explanation for what is occurring. And in verse 11, we see a great white throne and him who sat on it. And a description of him is in relationship to what happens to heaven and earth in his great glorious presence when he takes that role as judge. Now, here, Jesus Christ is the judge seated in glory. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 22, we read, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgments to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We see a white throne earlier. We see a white cloud. We see a white horse. White means what? Holiness, purity. It is a holy throne. It is an unbribable throne. That the one who sits upon it will utter decrees according to, as we'll see in a moment, the books that are laid open before him. Christ is the king who has been given all authority By the Father to judge. We again look at John chapter 5. Later on, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Who better to judge men than the one who became like us in every way yet without sin? Christ is a holy capable, called, ordained judge. And then we find that phrase just following the throne, the one who sat on it, from whose face. That face describing authority, commanding authority, the earth and heaven fled away. Now this is not a description at this time prior to the judgment of there being no heaven and earth. 
Because just later we see that the sea and the grave give up their dead. In fact, this section that is the end of verse 11, earth and heaven fleeing away, comes at the end or in response to the great and awesome day of judgment. The sea cannot give up the dead if there is no sea. Does that make sense? I think we understand the logic of that. What is being declared here is one who is terrifying in his judgment and that all of it, everything that has ever been and ever will be and is now, will sit or stand, will lay before the piercing eye of the righteous judge of heaven and earth. It is the judgment of As Matthew would write in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from the other as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. It is the judging of the elect and the reprobate. We will look at that concept a bit more in a moment. But this judgment is not one that is particular. It is universal. At this last judgment, both the dead in Christ and those unrighteous will be raised. And they will together be brought with those living at the time of Christ's second coming. And they will all be judged. The point is, no one will escape the judgment of the one who is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this judgment, this judgment is the very final event by which the righteous and the unrighteous will be separated from one another. And as I will build a case for, as it were, this is the moment that you and I need to shape our lives around. It is the judgment of the living and the dead. It is the judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous. It is a judgment even of angels. And there is no man that will not stand before Christ. All will come before him. And that judgment of the dead, verse 12, of the small and great, of those brought forth from the sea and of death and Hades or the grave, all of them will be brought and he will judge them by the books and the book. So let's look at that. We're moving much more quickly than I thought. This is good news. (laughs) And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, I want to talk about the books because this is really where um, the meat of this particular passage lies. It is from these books that Christ will judge all men. Not just sinners, not just saints, but all men. There are those who have a defense against the pure and righteous judgment of Christ, and then there are those who do not. Those who are counted righteous or pure are declared such because of the applied work of Christ's blood. Isaiah 1, verse 18 reads, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How does one 
who is scarlet, tainted, guilty by sin, come to a point of white innocence. Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. God will judge all men. And God will judge all men through the person, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. And here we find a plurality of books. One is referenced as the book of life, which I think we can take to be the Lamb's book of life, in, in which the names of the elect are written. When were those names written? Well, there will be those who contend that your name is written in that book the moment you decide for Christ that you will be his child. We call these Arminians. The problem with Arminian theology is it rests away and wrestles away from God any sovereignty or eternal nature of his decrees as it relates to not just our salvation, but every event in human history. Has God relinquished such sovereignty? The scriptures time and time again speak not only of regeneration preceding faith that none believe unless they are first called, that Christ Jesus died while we were still sinners, as it speaks to his love, but that this book of life, this Lamb's book of life, is a book related to the very same concept that we see earlier in the book of Revelation as those sealed by the Father with the name Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we see only two kinds of people as it relates to believers and unbelievers. There are those whose names are sealed and upon their forehead is stamped Jesus Christ. Don't worry, we're not going to make you get a, a tattoo or a a brand when you join the church, it says JC or something along those lines, WWJD, right? But what? The promises of God that are yes and amen, and in fact, we actually do wear an external seal that is a sign of our membership in Christ church. And what is that? Baptism. And all who are brought across the river through the sea that are living according to the promises of God bear in their flesh a sign that is correlated to the eternal decree of election. We outwardly say with our mouths and we are, <laughs> the water is poured over our head, we belong to Christ Jesus. Who gave us to Christ we did not give ourselves to him. We did not say, you know what, this is a good idea. I'm done with sin. I'm going to choose God. For if God were to leave any of us and that responsibility to us, who would choose him? Have you ever sinned before? It's great. Except what? Unless God reveals the odious nature of our sins to us. And you do not come to that conclusion on your own. 
lest we would be digging empty cisterns that cannot hold water for our entire lives. No, the Lamb's book of life is a record of those names that the Father gave to the Son in eternity past. And whoever is named there has been, will be, washed. Regeneration follows forth from the decree of election. And that everyone who is named in this book of life has no fear of judgment. Now that does not mean that Christians will not be judged. But that every sin that we commit, have committed and will commit, are not able to erase our names from that book. This is why Arminians must also teach rebaptism and rededication of life. It is a system built upon works righteousness. Because if you are able to choose God, guess what you are also able to do? Take the eraser and take your name out of that book. Who controls the book? Who is opening it here? It's not Bob Christian. It's Jesus Christ, the judge. And he is not the one who put those names there. Not even Christ can take those names out of that book. That act of spiritual glory and exercised authority belongs to one person, and that is the person, the first person of the Godhead, the Father. It's glorious. And it's glorious in this, because what is about to be seen will be utterly terrifying to you if it were not for that singular book, the book of life, which is why it is important that it be named, because along with the book of life are, I would contend, two other books, right? We read of a plurality of books, books, verse 12, and then a book. How does Christ judge? How do judges judge today? Apart from having a a book of acquittal, right? That's not actually what judges are deciding. If a judge is to decide a case, what two things are absolutely essential for judgment? The law and then the case itself, the evidence The stipulations, all that has been done. I would contend that in a court, not just is there the book of life in which the names of the elect are written, and so they, no matter what is said in this case, they are acquitted in Christ Jesus. But that Christ rules according to two things. Number one is the perfect standard of God's revealed will. And what do we call that? The Bible. What hath God said as a rule for faith and practice? And not only the Holy Scriptures, but what have you done in relationship to that word? Everything you have ever thought, everything you have ever said, everything you have ever done. And not just the stuff that your Christian friends have observed on Sundays, right? That would be great. That book is not limited. It is exhaustive in relationship to the whole of your life, seen and unseen. Every flash-in-the-pan idea, every little lust, every angry intention, everything that if people were to hear it would go, 
I don't even know if I want to be around you right now. I can't believe you would think such things or do those things. And that, I think, is what we find here. That the judgment of all men are according to these three books. The book of Scripture, the record of our actions, the actions of all men, and then the book in which the names of those for whom Christ died are sealed for all eternity. And so it is not just the elect, but also the reprobate. Now, what does the word reprobate mean? It's just the opposite of elect. Those who are elect are those who were chosen by the Father in the Son. The reprobate were those chosen by the Father for eternal judgment, who were not in the Son. They are covenant breakers. So, let's open these books. As I have said already, Christ will judge all men according to these books. Now, it is easy enough for us to say, as those who confess Christ, that of course the ungodly will be judged according to their works. And how will they be found? Wanting. Wanting. And it is not simply because their works do not rise to the level of appeasing a holy God. For if you and I were judged according solely to our works, how would we be found? Just as wanting. In fact, have you ever met unbelievers and you look at them and go, this guy's holier than I am. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with me? Why is he so much kinder than I? The guy doesn't struggle with anger issues like I do. He seems to be very loving with his wife and tender with his children. What is going on yet if he were to stand before Christ and his name is not in the Lamb's book of life? He's what? Guilty. In fact, if there was just scripture and works and not the active and passive obedience of Christ on our behalf, everyone, everyone young and old, even your children, parents, your innocent, beautiful, perfect, you don't believe that, do you? You know them well enough, and everybody else knows your kids too. And how would they be found? All, all, what does the psalmist say? In sin was I conceived. And God knows every single thought and intention of your hearts. And when I hear that, I go, oh God, stop looking. <laughs> Just don't keep writing. Stop writing the things that are out of alignment with your word because hey, the moment, what does Paul say as he's struggling with the presence of sin in his heart? The things I want to do, I can't do those things. And the things I don't want to do, I do those things. And then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Which is why Paul then says, I, I actually don't mind the idea of death. For me to live as Christ and to die is what? Gain. Why gain? Because we don't sin anymore. I'm not asking us to be morbid when we approach the house of mourning with our friends who die in Christ. Saying, gosh, I kind of I envy him or her. But how sweet the release of death will be to the saints. 
when you have come to an awareness that every single day of your life is a day whereby the pen comes to the paper and those things are written that are a record against you, especially for those who know better. So I have taken to using these felt pens. I love these things. This is my most serious color. I don't know what you call this color because I'm a man. It's a red. It's in the red family. And when I use this pen, it means something very, very serious. And I'll have it in my notes where you can see all the scripture is in red. Not because I'm a red letter of Jesus guy. I don't like that idea. But because I need to see what are my words and what are the actual words of scripture. And I know I need to read this and emphasize it. When a pastor of Christ's church sins, it's always in this pen. Do you know why? Because of all people, I know better. When Christ condemns Israel for their rebellion, what does he say in relationship to their sins and the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? They are far greater than the sins of Sodom. If Revelation teaches us anything, it ought to teach us to hate our sin. Now, there is immense scriptural evidence that the works of the righteous are recorded and are known by God. This does not negate the beauty of the gospel. In fact, what it does is it gives strength and power and beauty and glory to the gospel. In Psalm 13, the psalmist writes, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written. What every day of the life of every person who is made by God. It is not just the righteous or the unrighteous. All. Matthew 12. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. My mom used to say to me, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use one twice as much as you do the other. And I heard the inverse. (laughs) And many of us do. In fact, the Solomon speaks of a multitude of words. It's being quite dangerous indeed. Luke chapter 12. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you... And when you hear you, don't think the person sitting next to you. Think me. For whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Ecclesiastes 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And it's not just the evil things. 
Children, when your parents are saying to you, do the dishes, take out the trash, do these things, or parents, husbands, wives, when you sort of look at that thing sitting on the countertop and it's like, who's, it's the staring game. Who's going to flinch first? Who's going to put the thing where it goes? And then you go, fine, I'll put it up, even though I didn't get it out. Guess what you've done? Hmm, interesting that you responded that way, Joby. Why didn't you just do the thing and do it cheerfully? But instead of serving God, knowing that every little thing, right? And when I mean every little thing, how precise is the vision of God? If he, who knows when the tiniest sparrow falls to the ground, does not neglect it but knows it, The gospel does not hide us from our works being recorded. The gospel hides us from our works being held against us in eternal judgment. And though our works will be revealed on the last day, and I'm talking to Christians here, we will never be judged apart from Christ's work on our behalf. Every single thing will be revealed. Now, the question is, how long will this trial go on? I don't know. I'm sure there will be a way in which all of these cases will be expedited. When in a moment, all of it will come to light. And the question for us is this. To what degree have we been laying up treasures in heaven so that we might go into the next age of men in the new heavens and the new earth and be armed with the things that we do now? The psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do we live in light of the age that is to come? So that every thought, every word, every deed is evaluated in this way. To what degree am I being made more fit for the age that is to come? For we will not pass into oblivion. Our works will go ahead of us. How many of you will study to be engineers and one day build great buildings? In honor of Christ... Or some of you think, what about calculus? Why in the world am I learning calculus? Maybe you will be there designing the ailerons on the wings of a spaceship. Yes, this is weird, I know. That will take you to planets we've never been before because engineering and aerospace will be unhindered by sin and the enlightened scientific community that now rules us. Can you wait? I cannot wait. We will go to Mars in this life or the next. Do you think that the heavens are merely meant for us to gaze upon and not go out into? What do men do? When someone asked one of the great explorers whose name passes, left my mind. I can't wait to the renewed mind and I don't forget anything. Why did you go and climb Everest? Do you know what he said? Because it's there. 
What is he expressing? Some people hear that and go, I don't get it. Yeah, you're right. You don't get it. And the fact that you don't get it is evidence that you don't understand. Recently, uh, my wife was following these men and women who are rowing from, is it England? To America. In little rowboats across the Atlantic. And you know, you may have someone who's downstairs in their basement fiddling with their joysticks and they look at them and go, they're crazy. Why would you risk your life to do that? Because it's there. Because we are exercising glorious dominion. We will be judged by our works. And Christ will judge all the thoughts, words, deeds of men and angels according to his revealed will. And here is the glory of the gospel. In that moment, when all that we have not done in service of Christ, our King, is burned up, there our name sits. And if it were not for our name being written in the book of life, every man, woman, and child would be sentenced to eternal damnation. So how then should we think about righteousness and sin? Let me just say this. This has been an up and down week for me. Um, in light of the text that's before us. Because I started off Monday going, alright, what's happening in Revelation 20? And I ended up this morning going, I really need to improve the quality of my thoughts, words, and deeds. Because what I don't want to do is go into the next age an infant in the things of righteousness. I want to go armed not only with a, a deep abundance of love and affection for Christ, but I want as little remedial education as possible. And the degree to which we will take dominion in the age that is to come is connected to the degree to which we take dominion in this life. And this is what I mean. Because this age and the age that is to come both are rightly lived under the lordship of Christ Jesus. It is not possible to be so heavenly minded. You are no earthly good. In fact, the more you live in light of that last day, the more glorious and joyous and full and satisfying your life will be now. There will be those who on the last day of judgment, who are looking for a place to flee, having heard the sentence of God, will have nowhere to flee. There will be no bush, no leaf for where it will happen. It will pass away. All the designs that men come up with, like cities, like philosophies, like the opinions of experts, all of those things will be gone. And all will be laid bare before Christ. And there is but one place to hide. The book. The book of life. How can you assure yourself your name will be in that book? That you right now, by faith, lay hold of the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus.
hide, be covered by the blood of the one who is sufficient to redeem you from your sins. It is not just the wicked deeds of wicked men that are recorded. It is all. So live in light of that day. And that leads me then to my final point. Quickly, the sentencing and the casting out of death in Hades. Here we find just judgments handed down. What is not done according to God's word is burned up. How much of your life will be burned? That's a good question for us. In fact, that may be a great question to ask as to what we should do in our daily lives. Will this endure or will it burn? Will it endure or will it burn? Is what I'm about to say, will it endure or will it burn? Is the thought and the combating against sinful thoughts, is it, will it endure or will it burn? All must be done in conformity to God's word. And the glorious promise, even when we sin, is what? There is forgiveness of sins. Take the confession then seriously. Because it is God's opportunity, while we are still alive, to lay aside every weight of hindrance and to run the race that is set before us. And just as there are varying degrees of obedience and delights in the next stage, there are also varying degrees of sin and rebellion and misery. What I'm saying is, in a guarded way, Dante's not completely off base. There is something to the nature of our heinousness of sin because Scripture says that it will be worse for them, those who reject the offer of salvation, when it is so clearly manifest to them than it is Sodom and Gomorrah. Worse off when? It was pretty bad in Sodom. It was also pretty bad in Jerusalem. But worse off when? At the last judgment and for all eternity. Is there anything so regretful than a missed opportunity? Think about it. If I had just, if I had just, think of all of those who hear the gospel in this life. And there will be those who are raised or who are alive at the coming of Christ. And they will think, if I had just listened to my parents, if I had just listened to the pastor, if I had just heeded the call of God's word to repent... And at that moment, what? There is no place to hide. The book is open. And the sentences are being handed down. For the saints, this represents the end of the struggle. And though some will go into the new heavens and new earth with greater dominion ready in place than others... It does represent the end of the struggle against sin and death. That this is the moment in which we will no longer see sin and the works of sin and the effects of sin. Because even as the judgments are made, sentences are handed down. Then the sea gave up the dead, verse 13, 
who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How do you love the godless unlovely? How do you go to them with pity? We sing, pity the nations, O our God. Constrain the world to come. Because there are some mighty, wretched, wicked, ugly enemies of the church. And in the same fashion, I desire for you to look at the day that is to come and think, what am I doing? What am I thinking? What am I saying that will endure, that will prepare me, make me more fit for the work of glory? Think of your most bitter enemy and ask yourself this question. Is it really? Will I despise him to the point that I shut my mouth if the future for him is eternal damnation? The second death. The casting out for all eternity from the good grace of God. The offer of the gospel. And the common grace that is found here on earth. No. And so we ought to live for the last day. Live in light of the word. That by the same book that Christ will judge all men, his revealed will, is the same book that he has given to us. And what does it call men to do? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And not just for those who have never repented, but for those who have repented time and time again. Continue to seek to leave behind works of darkness. Things done in secret. So the question that is put to us here at the end. How shall we then live? Well, instead of lust, fill your heart with psalms, prayers, and worship. Instead of greed... Give thanks for the manifold blessings of God, chiefly salvation in his Son. Instead of disobedience, honor, surrender, submission. Instead of doubt and dismay, faith and trust in the word made flesh, given to us. Dear saints, may we be a congregation that lives in light of that day. Let us pray. Lord our God.